0: In the ninth chapter in the book of Genesis, we find where the Lord spoke to Noah after the flood. He said, I will set my bow in the clouds, be a sign between me and thee and all the earth for an everlasting covenant. When Noah and the animals and all his family came off the ark, which you read of in the last part of Genesis chapter 8, we find the first thing that Noah did was an act of thanksgiving we find where Noah built an altar. And of all the animals he took on the ark, there were two of every unclean, but seven of every clean because there would be the need of making burnt offerings to God. So the very first thing we read that Noah did coming off the ark was not to build himself a house. That might have been my first thought. Well, I'll have to have a place to live. I'll need a dwelling. I'll need something for safety, etc., But apparently the first thing that was on the mind of Noah when he came off the ark was God. As an act of thanksgiving for delivering him and his family from the flood of judgment upon this earth, we find that Noah built an altar. And on that altar he offered of those clean animals a burnt offering and sacrifice to God. The Bible says that God smelt a sweet smelling sever. In other words, this was pleasing to the Lord. When the offering was made, it just went up like a sweet smell in the nostrils of God. And then God told Noah that never again would he curse the earth for man's sake. Even though the imagination of his heart was wicked, he would never destroy the earth ever again by a flood. By a flood. And in the last verse of Genesis chapter 8, the Lord said, As long as the earth remaineth, there shall be seed time and harvest. There shall be cold and heat. There shall be summer and winter. There shall be night and day. And that's God's word. That's God's statement. That's God's promise. As long as the earth remaineth, which indicates to me there will come a time when the earth will not continue. And we are studying other portions of the word of God. That's going to be the case in 2 Peter chapter 3. We find there's going to come a time when there's going to be a great noise and the elements in the heavens shall melt with fervent heat. And God will destroy this earth. But He won't do it until His time comes, when He comes again the second time. As long as the earth remaineth, there will be seed time and harvest. That's God's promise. There will be cold and heat. There will be night and day. And there will be summer and winter. And then we start into Genesis chapter 9. And the first verse says, And God blessed Noah and all his family and his three sons. This is the first time the word blessed has been used since the days of the Garden of Eden when God made Adam out of the dust of the earth and gave Adam and Eve a command that they could eat every tree in the Garden of Eden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then when Adam transgressed, sin came into the world. Romans 5 and 12, Wherefore, but one man sent into the world, and death by sin, and death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. We find then, as we continue reading those early chapters in Genesis, or man's heart became very wicked and evil, and God then proposed, or God purposed to destroy this earth by a flood. But the Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and God gave Noah directions and instructions how to build that ark and be for him and his family a total of eight people. And he says, You'll bring all the animals in by twos of the unclean and by sevens of the clean. It's already stated. So the flood is over. Noah and his family come off the ark. The first thing he does is build this altar. offers a burnt offering, burnt sacrifice. It's a sweet smell, a sweet sever in the nostrils of God. And then God blessed Noah and he gave him a commandment. He's going to tell him this twice. The very same thing he told Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. And so Noah and his family live both in the old world and the new world. That's somewhat unique the only ones to do that. And he received the same commandment that Adam did. And God again told him, You be fruitful, you multiply, and you replenish the earth. And that's why we're all here today, because Noah and his sons began to do that, or his sons in particular, of course. Read in verse 19, Where the whole earth was overspread. This is where the earth became populated through the three sons of Noah. We have Shem and Japheth and, and Ham. And the three major races of the earth developed from these three sons. And God was in particular, uh, or particularly was it concerned with Shem. Because it's through Shem that Abraham came into this world. It's through Abraham that the nation of Israel was formed and created. It's through Abraham and his seed the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world to fulfill Genesis 3 and 15. For the Lord said unto the serpent, I'll put any between thee, And the woman, between your seed and her seed, and his seed shall bruise thy head, and thy seed shall bruise his heel. That was a prophecy of the coming of Christ. He's the seed of the woman, not the seed of the man, but the seed of the woman. And Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman, bruised the head of the seed of the serpent, which is the devil himself. Now the seed of the serpent did bruise the heels of the Lord Jesus Christ, for he indeed suffered in body and soul. And we find that His heels were nailed to the cross, his hands were nailed to the cross, a sword pierced his side, etc. But the vulnerable part of the body is always the head. And so we see the seed of the woman, which is Jesus Christ, bruised the head of the seed of the serpent and he was destroyed. Hebrews 10, 14 says that he destroyed him through death. He had the power of death, that is, the devil. The devil has been destroyed. Sin has been put away as far as the east is from the west. Death has been overcome. Jesus Christ emerged victorious over death, hell, the grave, this world, and Satan himself. And so now, the Lord tells Noah and his sons to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. Then he tells us something else. These these are very important things here because this applies to all mankind, not just to Noah and his seed, but all mankind. He said, every meat... Every animal, I'll put the fear of all animals, put the fear of man in the hearts of all animals, they'll be subject unto you. And he says, they shall be meat for you. Now in the garden, Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the, you know, all the trees in that garden, except again for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Abel was a, you know, he was a shepherd, and and Cain, um, he was a tiller of the ground, but now Noah and his sons will actually become hunters. Because the animals now are going to be meat for Noah and his family and for all generations to follow. If you turn to the Book of 1 Timothy, chapter four, verses three and four, you find where Paul rebukes those who were commanding God's people to abstain from marriage and from the uh, and from eating meats. He says, which God has created and is to be received as long as it's received with thanksgiving. For every creature is made of God, and which received with thanksgiving then God is pleased with that. So there's nothing wrong with that. So God gives this command to Noah and his family. And then we find where God tells us in the 6th verse. He says, For whosoever sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. When it comes to capital punishment, the Bible is very, very supportive of this. The Bible teaches this. Government. God established three things. Uh, since the very beginning of time. He established marriage and the family. He established government, uh, human government. And also, he established his church. Here are three things that came from the hand of God. Marriage and family, which man tries to put away, which man disrespects. man's continuously trying to destroy, though the devil is, through men. And then human government, If you turn to Romans chapter 13, you'll find where the Apostle Paul teaches the church at Rome here that we are to respect our public officials. That's one thing that's gone out the window a long time ago. It's contrary to the Word of God. You may not like who's in office, but you're to respect the office because it's God who established human government here for, for order and stability in society. And the way politicians talk against each other It's just disgraceful. Absolutely disgraceful. It doesn't matter who it is. You're not to talk disrespectful to anyone as far as that's concerned. But this is contrary to the teachings of God's Word. Read the book of Jude. You'll find where God rebukes those who spoke evil of dignitaries. Even when Satan disputed with Michael the archangel about the body of Moses, we find the Bible... Teaches very clearly that we're not to speak evil of dignitaries or those that oppose God. That means we're pleased with them, means we're happy with them, etc. But we're not to speak evil of dignitaries, we're not to speak disrespectfully of people. Stand for the truth, but do it in a respectful manner, a respectful way. So here the Lord said, Whosoever sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. You know, during the days of Israel in the Old Testament, they didn't have a sheriff's department. They didn't have a highway patrol, et cetera, et cetera. They didn't have the FBI, the CIA, et cetera. They didn't have that. So what did God do? God had then to establish six cities of refuge, three on one side of Jordan, three on the other side of Jordan. And if someone slew somebody, killed somebody, now sometimes it was intentional. And if it was, that, that's murder. That's why the Lord said, Thou shalt not kill. And Jesus Christ explained that statement in the New Testament. The word kill there means murder. You have a right to defend yourself. You have a right to protect yourself and your family. And so there's a difference between murder and, uh, again, if you slew somebody in self-defense, involuntary manslaughter, for example. So if somebody slew somebody, then he could flee to a city of refuge because the family of the man that was slain or the person that was slain had the responsibility of seeking vengeance or justice. And sometimes they might take out vengeance on somebody who killed somebody accidentally, and this wouldn't be right. So God established six cities of refuge, three on one side of Jordan, three on the other, and a man that slew somebody would flee to the city of refuge, and there he was to remain as long as the high priest lived. Once the high priest died, he could leave the city. He had protection. He had, that's a, and that's a true biblical sanctuary city. God established it. If you study the names of those six cities of refuge, you'll find they all point to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our refuge. The number seven is the number of completion and perfection. Jesus Christ is our refuge. And we need to flee to Him every day. Do we not? Every single day we need to flee to the Lord Jesus Christ as our refuge and sanctuary here in this life. So God established that. Then we find where God established a covenant with Noah. This Noah is the Noahic covenant. He said, I will establish my covenant with thee which shall be an everlasting covenant. And he said, I will set my bow in the sky. Now that bow is a rainbow. It's just the word bow is used here but it's it's a rainbow. And God told Noah he would set his bow in the sky as a token, as a sign of his promise that he would never destroy this earth by a flood again. Now, people need reminders, don't they? We all need reminders. And so we find where God gave Abraham a reminder. When God made a covenant with Abraham, you go to Genesis chapter 17, and you'll find where God appeared unto Abraham as the Lord God Almighty, and we find that God is going to promise Abraham he's going to have a son, and that's a good way to reveal himself to him, right, as the Almighty God, because it's going to take almighty power to bring this to pass. At uh, this time, you're going to find where Abraham is a very, very old man. And his body is dead, and his, the womb of his wife is dead, but God has promised him a son, and that through him and his seed all the nations earth will be blessed, who appears unto Abraham as God Almighty. It's like he appeared to him in Genesis 15 after he went out with his trained soldiers or oh, excuse me, his trained servants. He didn't have any soldiers, his trained servants. And they went out and did battle against the kings and brought back his nephew Lot in them. And the Lord appears to him and says, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. You notice how the Lord revealed himself to him in a very appropriate way when he said, I am thy shield. He just went to battle and God had blessed him. And with these trained servants, he went out against all odds and he won the battle and brought back Lot's and all his family and possessions. That's when he met Melchizedek, that's in Genesis chapter 14. The Lord said, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward, because Abraham would not take him from a thread to a shoe latchet from all the possessions he had there in the battle, because he didn't want anybody to think that, you know, he had become rich in this manner and way. He didn't want to take away from the glory of God. So the Lord says, I am thy shield, I am thy protection, and I'm also thy great reward. It's in this chapter that he promises him a seed. He says, this shall be a token. He says, if every male child that's born, ye shall circumcise him on the eighth day. And that circumcision became a sign or, uh, well, a sign again or a token of God's covenant with Abraham. Every time a male child was circumcised, it reminded them of God's covenant with Abraham. And then you come to the days of Moses, you come to Exodus chapter 31. And you'll find in the last couple of verses there where God tells the nation of Israel that they shall keep the Sabbath day perpetually, as every seven days. He says, it shall be a sign between thee and me of this everlasting covenant that I've made with you. He says, for God created the heavens and the earth in six days. On day number seven, he rested. He ceased from his work in recognition of that. God gave them the Sabbath day. So every Sabbath day, it was reminded to Israel that God had created the heaven and the earth in six days and rested on day number seven, and they would have worked six days, and the seventh day, they would have ceased from their efforts and their activities and their work. Now, we don't worship God on the Sabbath day today from the standpoint of being the seventh day of the week, you know, uh, the Saturday Sabbath, because the disciples Recognize the importance of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ on the first day of the week. So we worship God on the first day of the week in celebration, recognition of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We do that though how many days? Every seven days, right? And then sometimes during the year, more often than that. On a regular basis, every seven days, we work six days. The so seventh day is God's day. It's the first day of the week. Israel worked six days, rested number seven. We rest on the first day and work the next six. We rest up for the, and to get the energy we need to face the next seat. We come back for renewal, right? So this is the first day of the week in recognition and celebration of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's why we meet on Sunday. So we need reminders. Twice a year we have communion. And what's, what's the table down there say in front? In remembrance of me. We need reminders, don't we? And at least this often, we need to be reminded what it's all about. We need to be reminded of the life and the sufferings and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. His perfect life, his sinless life. The life he lived that we couldn't live. The work he did, we couldn't do. We need to be reminded. Now, we we should be reminded every single uh, first day of the week when we meet to worship. And every day as we rise, we need to remind ourselves what it's all about. Have thankful hearts for what God has done for us. But we need special reminders. When we're baptized, that symbolizes the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we meet to worship God. We need reminders, do we not? Hebrews 2.1 says, Let us give therefore the more earnest heed to the things which we've heard. Us, at any time, we should let them slip. For the word that was first spoken was steadfast, and every transgression disobedience received a just recompense and reward. I should we escape if we neglect so great salvation. We need reminders. We need to remind one another. We need to remind each other collectively. So God gives these signs along the way. Well, in Noah's day, in Genesis chapter 9, God's going to give us a wonderful reminder. He said, I'll put my bow in the sky. Now, Noah saw this, bro. I'm going to call it a rainbow from here on. He saw this rainbow after the storm, did he not? And when do we normally see a rainbow? We see it after the storm, do we not? We have storms in life. And uh, we, we, we got some pretty serious storms going on in America today. We got this storm called the coronavirus going on. It's, you know, it's, it's a storm we're trying to work our way through, Right? But see, what, what, was that, what was that abode to be a token of? That God would never destroy this earth ever again by a flood. He made a covenant with Noah and his seed. Now, not only from the standpoint of his uh, human posterity, but he also made it with every living creature upon the face of the earth. He said he made it also with the cattle, with every beast, and the fowls of the air. Now, it's kind of interesting to me as I'm read other portions of the Word of God, for example, that I read in the book of Revelation chapter 4, you're going to see where the Apostle John saw four creatures. And they had four faces. And the face of a man, and the face of an eagle, and the face of a lion, and the face of a calf. Now, compare that with what was just stated here in Genesis chapter 9, when God made a covenant with Noah and his seed, and with every living creature. Of course, Noah is the man. With the descendants of Noah. He said, With every fowl of the air, there's your eagle. Uh, with the cattle, uh, there's your calf. And with every beast of the land, and, and there's your lion. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 1, we find where Ezekiel saw four living creatures. They also had these four same faces, except instead of the face of the calf, it was the face of an oxen. Now, I believe we view this just a little sideline here. I'm leaving this, we all see, uh, ought to see also a picture of what's involved in gospel labors and gospel ministers. First of all, they must have the face of a man. 1 uh, Timothy 3, 1, If any man desire the office of bishop, he desireth the good work, he must be the husband of one wife. There's no way in the world a woman can fit that qualification. She cannot be the husband of one wife, right? At least I don't think she can. In this day and age, anything goes. But at least I don't think she can, not biblically. Alright? You've got to have the face of a man. Had got to have the face of a lion. Uh, ministers have to have courage. <laughs> courage they do not have within their own selves to lead God's people in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in the way she needs to be led without having to have courage. You have to have courage sometimes just to preach on certain texts, certain subjects in the Bible. Because I know by human nature it's not something we really want to hear. You've got to have the courage to preach it. Ministers are under obligation to preach the whole counsel of God. And the Bible indeed will comfort the afflicted, but it will also afflict the comfortable. And people don't like to be afflicted when they're comfortable. <laughs> Karen laid down yesterday. She was really tired. She laid down so she got comfortable on the couch. And I wanted to see a different station on the TV. And so we got that Xfinity you know, all you just speak to it. And I said, ESPN. And she woke up just soon as I get to sleep, I said, I said that just barely loud enough for that remote control to hear. Ain't no way in the world you should have heard that. She didn't like you and woke up. She was comfortable. Sometimes the gospel, when it's preached, it's designed to comfort the afflicted. Brother Tim spoke on that from Isaiah 40 last Sunday. Comfort you, comfort you, my people, thus saith the Lord. But it's also designed to afflict the comfortable. We don't need to get too comfortable here and get lax. And indifferent to things, and the Word of God, you know, will prod us from time to time, and people don't really like that so much. He has to have the courage of the lion. He has to have the face of the calf or the oxen because he has to labor. And, and the oxen is, a, is, the, is the biblical picture of a laboring animal. See He didn't give the face of a horse. He had the face of an ox, a calf, an ox. People love to go to horse races, but I never have heard of anybody wanting to go to an ox race. Have you? Horses are flashy. Horses are beautiful creatures. Oxen are just these big old animals that move ever so slow, but ever so steady. And they pull the heavy loads. And I've seen a picture of the oxen when the load was so heavy, it brought him down to his knees. And that's where a gospel ministry is oftentimes, brother, in trying to labor and pastor churches and, and help the Lord's people. They, they got to be on their knees because the load sometimes is that heavy. They have to get down on their knees and pull hard. It's not flashy. But I tell you this, biblical days, Solomon said in Proverbs, where, the, where there are no oxen, the crib is clean. If you depending upon a horse back in that day to plant the crop and harvest the crop, you'd be out in the cold. Had to have the ox, didn't you? Had to have a face of an eagle. Minister the gospel through the preaching of the gospel in Jesus Christ. Try to lift God's spirits up. Try to encourage them. Try to get them to see high and lofty things instead of looking out here and seeing the things that bring you down. Eagles have high, you know, keen eyesight. They can just spot a small mouse You know. High in the sky, and they can just come down and swoop down and get it because their eyesight's so keen and they just soar through the sky. Oh, how the gospel minister, when he's blessed again to preach the gospel in Jesus Christ and uplift Christ in the eyes of the Lord's people, he, he wants them to, to soar. <laughs> you got a right and reason to, to, be, uh, to feel good about things, to so soar through the sky, my friends. Feel the wings of God's love just under your wings as you go through the skies under the sound of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And of course, you see, I think all of these in perfection in the person of the Savior. The Savior was a man. There's, Paul says, the one meeting between God and man, The man, Christ Jesus. Oh, how he labored as that ox. <laughs> oh, how he labored in that manner and way. And we find in Revelation chapter 5 where he's reviewed as a lion of the tribe of Judah. And no one ever lifted God's people as high as Jesus Christ did. I can assure you that. The Lord said, I'll make my covenant with thee and thy seed and every living creature, all the fowls of the air and the cattle of the hills and also every beast of the forest. And he said, I'll put my bow in the sky to remind you of that. To remind you of that. Let's think about that bow just for a minute, that rainbow. First of all, the rainbow spans the sky, but it reaches all the way down to the earth, does it not? The Lord Jesus Christ said multiple times, I'll just use this one in John 6, 38 and 39. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will. You want to hear the will of the Father read one more time? Here it is. And this is the Father's will. All he hath given me, there's divine unconditional election. All he hath given me, I should lose nothing, there's preservation. But raise up again at the last day, there's resurrection, end of time. For I came down, where? I came down from heaven. I didn't come to do my own will, because my will and the Father's will are one and the same. We don't have different wills. I came down from heaven to do not do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will. All he's given me, I shall lose nothing, but raise again in the last day. At the last day, the end of time, he's going to do it. There's one medium between God and men again, the man, Christ Jesus. Now think about that ladder in the days of Jacob and his experience when he's fleeing from Esau. And he lays down that night and he puts his head on a rock for a pillow. Can you imagine that? You're going to put your head on something instead of having a nice, you know, pillow to lay your head on like I'm sure everybody did last night. He puts his head on a rock. But During the night, the Lord appeared to him. And he saw a ladder as it was established between this earth and heaven. A ladder connects two points, a lower and a higher point. And here's a ladder that stretches from earth to heaven and the Lord Jesus Christ tells, uh, tells uh, uh, Nathaniel in John one fifty one. He said, Hereafter you shall see the heavens open and angels ascending, descending upon the Son of Man. That ladder was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we find where heaven and earth becomes connected by the rainbow. That rainbow, you know, a bow is an instrument of war, right? The bow, as you pull the arrow and you shoot, shoot the arrows in the bow, it's usually symbolic of warfare, an instrument of warfare. But notice this bow is not turned earthward. It's turned heavenward, right? It's turned heavenward. If we receive what we deserve by nature, it'd be turned the opposite direction. And God would be sending his arrows of judgment Here upon our hearts and upon our souls if we got what we deserve. But thank God, God doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us his mercy and his grace. That's what he gives us, is it not? His mercy and his grace. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, the apostle Paul said, For he became sin for us, and you know sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in him. See, it's turned heavenward. (laughs) Thank God it's turned that direction and not the other direction. I'm thankful we don't get what we deserve. I, I'm going to tell you, if salvation was based upon what, a combination of the Lord and myself, I'd never have a good night's rest. I'd always be wondering, if, I, if I'd done what little part I'm supposed to do? Have I done enough? If it was 50,50, I know I'd be doomed. If it was 90, 10, I'd be worried all the time. Even if it was 99 and 1%, I'd still be concerned. Have I done the 1%? Have I been sincere enough? Have I worked hard enough and long enough? The answer to all that would be no, no, no. It's got to be 100%. All of God. (laughs) I just love the story of the man who wanted to join the church and gave him his opportunity to speak and he said, I I just want to let you know, me and the Lord, we've done it all. (laughs) Silence. (laughs) We've done it all. Silence. He kept speaking. He said, what I mean by that is God's done all the saving. I've done all the sinning. (laughs) I make a motion, we receive immediately. (laughs) That's the testimony of grace, brethren. I've done all the sinning, but God's done all the saving. It's not a combination between Jesus Christ and myself salvation to the Lord from beginning to end, from first to last. Therefore, I can rest in that kind of message, you see. I'm glad that bow's turned heavenly, my friends, and not earthward. It connects heaven and earth. It's also like a bridge. You know, a bridge connects things. next connects one side over to the other side. There's a connection between heaven and earth, and that connection is Jesus Christ. I've already quoted to you. There's one meeting between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 3 and 18, we're told that the Lord Jesus Christ suffered the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. The just for the unjust. We're the unjust. Jesus Christ is the just. And in Acts chapter 4, the apostle Peter referred to Jesus Christ as the just one, spelled with a capital J. And then I quoted that one time when we were in the other building on Gallatin Road years ago. And after church, Brother Leland came up to me. He said, I got something for you. I said, what's that? He says, there's just one, just one. I said, I'm going to use that from here on. Notice I gave him the credit for it. (laughs) There's just one, just one. There's not a multitude of them. That word just with a capital J means that Jesus Christ's life was perfect, sinless, harmless, and undefiled before God. And therefore he sees us through him. And now we appear before God as just because the just one died in the place of the unjust. Aren't you glad that bow <laughs> is heavenward and not earthward? That bow is universal. It can be seen all throughout the entire earth, can it not? I don't care where you go, you can see the rainbow. Now, you know why, why that is, of course, is because <laughs> uh, you know, there are storms all around the world. And a rainbow is a combination of sunlight and storms. Sunlight and, and rain. Anytime the sun is shining, the rays come through drops of water, it acts like a prism. And it breaks it into all the various colors. Isn't that wonderful? I don't know of anything hardly any more beautiful than a rainbow. Everything God has made is beautiful in this day, is it not? How many sunrises have you seen in your life? How many sunsets have you seen in your life? How many moons have you seen in your life? And yet when you see a rising of the sun, you just stare at it for a little while, and you might even make a comment, oh, the sunrise was so beautiful today. You'd think you'd get tired of that, wouldn't you? But see, God's God's work is like it's always brand new. It's always brand new, and you see the sun setting, going down in the horizon. Oh, how gorgeous it is. How beautiful it is. And the stars at night, the stars in the sky. You know, in the first chapter of Genesis, it said, when God made the greater light and the lesser light, and he made the greater light, the sun to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. And it says, and he made the stars also. It's like, oh, by the way, (laughs) he made the stars also. Look out on a beautiful starry night and see the stars just glimmering and glittering out there. What a a show. What a show. It's just like every time we see it. It's like it's the very first time that we've experienced something like it in our life. And then the rainbow. (laughs) See the rainbow? (laughs) Yeah, I've seen a lot of them. Yeah, well look at this one. Oh, how beautiful the rainbow is. Is it as that sun comes through the light. I mean, the light comes through the water. I remember as a child, sometimes I'd get the hose pipe or the water hose. You know, some people call it hose pipe. <laughs> some of you may not know what that is. It's a water hose, by the way. Anyway, it's a flexible pipe. <laughs> On a bright sunny day, sometimes you could just shoot the water up and you could actually make you a rainbow. Nothing like God does, of course how beautiful it is, and God doesn't charge you a cent. <laughs> he doesn't, you don't get a bill in the mailbox for the sunlight and the moon and the and the stars. At Christmas time, they'll have all these um, you know, they'll have a, a light show or they'll have a place where you can drive your car through and they won't charge you $10 per car to drive through it. <laughs> the Lord's been giving you all these sites free since the very beginning of creation. <laughs> Could you pay for it if he charged you? I think not. Aren't you God just gives it to you free? So when we have a storm, oftentimes we have a rainbow. Noah saw the rainbow after the storm, just like we do. And as the sunlight comes through those drops of water, it breaks in all the various colors. It reminds me of 1 Peter 4 and 10, when the Apostle Peter says, As you have therefore received the gift... It says, ministry that give one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That word manifold there means uh, various. Uh, just like the rainbow is broken into various colors, that's what uh, that word manifold really has reference to. The manifold grace of God. When I think about God's grace, I think about His saving grace. Ephesians 2.8. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. 2 Timothy 1:9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his mercy, according to, to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. When God gave you to Christ, it's based upon grace wasn't based upon his foresight of you and your life and your works and your good deeds, etc. It's based upon grace. Saving grace of God. Now one of the Apostle Peter said in Acts chapter 15 when there some came among the people of God back in that day, and said, except you, uh, you know, be circumcised and keep the law Moses, you cannot be saved. And the Apostle Peter says, why put this yoke upon our necks that even our forefathers were not able to bear? For we believe we are saved by grace, even as they it's been grace since the beginning, my friends. It'll be grace all the way to the end. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul said, For we know the grace of God, that though he was rich, yet he became poor for our sakes, so that we through his poverty might become rich. Here's the biblical definition of grace. We know the grace of God, though he were rich. There's never been anyone to compare to the riches of Christ. Though he was rich, he became poor. And there's no way you could ever uh, uh, compare the poverty of anybody to the poverty of Christ. He became poor, what? For our sakes. That's grace in our room instead. That's grace. For we know the grace of God. Though he's rich, he became poor for our sakes. And we, through his poverty, might be rich. I'm not talking about gold and silver. I'm not talking about stocks and bonds. I'm not talking about IRAs and 401Ks and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about the blessings of God, the riches of His spiritual blessings upon us. That's what I'm talking about. And then I think about the serving grace of God. Hebrews 12, 28. Wherefore, seeing, or wherefore, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace that we might serve God with reverence and godly fear, acceptably, we can't serve God apart from grace. You understand? You can't do it. This morning, we're doing what Paul said in Colossians 3, 15, and 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. I'm going to tell you, Jack, try to sing to the Lord without grace and then try to sing with grace. I tell you, there's a difference. <laughs> there's a big difference. Preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said in Ephesians 3 7, wherefore I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, which is given to me by the effectual working of this power. No man in his own self can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It requires the, the gift of the, uh, you know, the grace of the gift to begin with. It must be by a, a, a divine call that a man's able to do that. When God calls a man, he calls that man in a sovereign manner, in a sovereign way. And he puts the gift right in his heart, and the burden in his heart to use that gift. But that man has to have grace to preach. That's why I try to tell you from time to time, probably need to tell you every Sunday, I guess. Please pray for me. Please, please, please pray before you ever get here that the Lord would be with Brother Ronald today. <laughs> I get this text from this wonderful, wonderful brother. Every Saturday night I get this text from him. And it'll say different things, but it's always a text of encouragement. He said, we watch, the, we watch the sermon every Sunday afternoon after we get home from our church. And I pray that God will bless you to be able to use your gift. I pray that God will bless you to be able to preach the gospel this day at Bethel Church. I get that every single Saturday. The minister of the gospel has to have grace to preach. Here's another one of those beautiful, beautiful lights. You know, James chapter 1, verse 17. He says, uh, speaks about God being the Father of lights. whom there is no variance, no shadow of turn. He's the Father of all light. And that breastplate that the high priest wore, you know, he had 12 jewels and, uh, on the breastplate. They're all 12 different jewels on the breastplate. They were all very beautiful and they all shine with brilliance. And there's two names that's associated with the breastplate. Urim and Thummim. U-R-I-M-T-H-U-M-M-I-N. Urim and Thummim. You know what those two words mean? It means light and perfection. Light and perfection. That was the name of that breastplate that the high priest wore. Grace to serve him with. Grace to sing with. Grace to preach with. I think about the sustaining grace of God. The Apostle Paul had this experience in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 as he wrote about it for us. He wrote about being called up to the third heaven. And in third heaven, he heard things unspeakable. I mean, it wasn't lawful for him to utter the things that he saw when he got in that third heaven. So after that experience, we find where a thorn was put into his side. And he prayed three times that the Lord might take the thorn out of his side. He prayed three times about the matter. It must have been painful. Must have been very uncomfortable and painful to have that thorn in your side. I know how painful it is just to get a little splinter in your finger. <laughs> and, you know, you try to work it out and work it out and you get And she gets the needle and she, you know, she knows how to work it out, I tell you that. Sometimes I think, I just keep the splinter. <laughs> she's everything in our household. She's a haircutter, she's a doctor, she's the med, she's everything. thorn is in his side. He says, Lord, remove it. The Lord didn't take it out. Lord, remove the thorn in his side. The Lord didn't take it out. The third time he prays, Lord, remove the thorn of the flesh. The Lord didn't take it out. Here's what the Lord said. He said, Paul, my, str- my grace is sufficient for you. I thank God for the enabling grace of God. Thank God for the sufficiency of God's grace to get us through the trials and the tribulations, to help us bear the thorns, brethren, that we have to bear sometimes on a daily basis. As we bear these things in life, always remember that God's grace is sufficient. <laughs> I, I, I'm reminded of that so many times when I've you know, gone through something and i made it through to the other side and I look back and I say, yes, one more time I have an example, a personal example, personal experience of the sufficiency of God's grace. One more time. You know why you're here this morning? Because you've received the sufficiency of God's grace time and time and time and time again in days gone and past. The manifold grace of God, the serving grace of God, the saving grace of God, the providential blessings of God. 2 Corinthians 9 and 8, Paul said, And the God of all grace... Oh, God's able to make all grace abound towards you that you always have an all-sufficiency that everything may abound in every good work. Isn't it wonderful how God is able to do that when you're at your wit's end, when you feel like you're just uh, about in the bottom down here, God's everlasting arms comes along this underneath you and pulls you right up. Just like David said in Psalms 40, I waited patiently upon the Lord. He inclined unto me and he heard my cry, brought me out of a horrible pit and out of the miry clay set my feet upon a rock, he established my goal, He put a new song in my mouth. Oh, the providential blessings of God when it comes to His grace. God said, make all grace abound toward you, that you have in all sufficiency in all things may abound into every good work. His grace, once again, as I've said before, is universal. And I believe the reason for that, of course, is because God's got a people all around the world. He's got a people all around the globe. As I read in Revelation 5 and 9, where they said to the Lord Jesus Christ, art worthy, O Lord, to loose the seals of the book. John had wept because he saw no man in heaven, no man on the earth, and no man under the earth who was found worthy. But then those four and twenty elders fell down at the feet of him, Jesus said, Thou art worthy, O Lamb. Because thou has redeemed us by thy blood out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. I'm here to tell you today that God's got a people in China and God's got a people in Japan and God's got a people in Russia. He's got a people in South America, North America, Europe. All around the globe, He's got a people. And they've been redeemed by the blood of Christ out of all that, every nation, kindred, and tongue. John, Revelation 14 and 6, he said, said, I saw another angel fly, come in from heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people upon the earth. Now, Noah saw the rainbow after the storm. If you go to Ezekiel chapter 1, you're going to find where Ezekiel saw a rainbow in the midst of the storm. Read Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel is among those that have been taken, captivity, been taken captive in the captivity of Israel by the Babylonians. And he's by the river Shabar when the Lord, the word of God, came expressly unto him. And he looked and he said, I saw visions of God. I don't have time to read that first chapter in the book of Ezekiel this morning. Read it for yourself. But he saw those four living creatures. He says, our wings pointed upward toward God and so so the Spirit moved them to go. They went and they all went together. And they had those two wings that reached upward and two wings covered their bodies. You know, it's it's beautiful language. You may not be able to figure it all out symbolically, but when you get through reading, you know you've read something about the glory of God. And it comes down to the last two verses of that chapter in verse 28. And just above that, he says, and I saw the throne of God. And he said, then I saw the bow that was around, a bow in the midst of the cloud. And he said, that bow was the glory of God. He saw the bow in the midst of the storm. Then I come to Revelation chapter 4, and I find where the apostle John saw the bow before the storm. Read it. Chapter 4, he saw four and twenty elders. He saw the four beasts. Then he saw a throne that was set up in heaven, And the word throne is mentioned 39 times in the book of Revelation. 39 times we read that word throne in the book of Revelation. And he saw a throne. He said he saw a rainbow round about the throne. Notice two things about this. He's going to describe a storm about two verses later. He said, and I saw the lightnings, and I saw the thunder as it came out of the throne. But he saw the rainbow before the throne, before the storm. So what am I to learn from all this? (laughs) I think every single day we need to be looking for the rainbow. Because that reminds me of God's covenant promises. When I see the bow in the sky, the rainbow in the sky, and all the beauty of it, it reminds me of the manifold grace of God. It reminds me of the everlasting covenant that God made with me and his children, my friends, before time ever began. It reminds me of all the promises of God that he'll never leave me nor forsake me. And that bow he put up there in Noah's day did not tell Noah, you'll never see another storm. But it did tell Noah, there's never going to come another storm that's going to destroy you. There's a story about Mark Twain and a friend of his had gone to church. And they walked out of church and a violent storm had just come up. Just raining like crazy. And his friend said to Mark Twain, I wonder if it will ever stop. And Mark Twain said, it always has. (laughs) It always has. Sometimes you might be going through something, you might think, I wonder if it's ever going to stop. You've been thinking anything like that for the last 10 months? It will. It's going to stop. Okay? It's going to stop. It always has. It's It's not the first storm this world's had to experience. And I'm pretty sure I can say, I'm going to go out on a limb right here now. It's not the last storm you're going to have to face in life. So every day, I want to see the bow before the storm. And then I want to keep looking. I want to see that when the storm comes, I want to see the bow in the storm. And thank God, when the storm passes, I'll look and there'll be that bow after the storm. Let's turn to hymn number 556, I think it is, if I'm not mistaken.